0: Mindfulness Mode 282. There's ways that we learn. There's auditory, there's visual and kinesthetic. And so, you know, when I'm when I'm doing it, I'm really encompassing all three. I'm saying it to myself, I'm writing it, I'm doing it, and I'm seeing it.
1: You're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, thanks for joining me here today. If you're new, it's so great to have you join us here on the show. And if you're a repeat listener, Thank you, and thank you for subscribing. If you haven't subscribed to Mindfulness Mode, hit subscribe on whatever platform you listen to. That truly helps our show out. Last time, I had Picasso on the show, (laughs) and I'm laughing because yes, her last name is Picasso. Yes, she's an artist. Yes, she's an award-winning artist, but she's, of course, not the actual Picasso, but this is something we talk about and how mindful she is. And what a fun person, and she does so many different things. I think you're going to enjoy the last episode, mindfulnessmode.com slash 281, and today... Well, I hope you've had a wonderful holiday time. It's, uh, it's been a beautiful time of year here in Canada. The snow is gorgeous. The fresh, cool air, beautiful. And we've had a wonderful Christmas celebration. It's been fantastic. I hope you've had a great time too with family and friends. And if you're alone, if you're by yourself, I hope you've had a mindful time and it's been positive. I hope it's been good for you well today we are going to be talking with a man who he and his wife about four years ago had a wonderful christmas gift they traveled to china they brought home their treasure you're going to hear all about it on the show he's truly mindful dave looks at life as something to figure out mindfully He loves to know how things work he loves to think about how much of an influence he can be positively on others i truly enjoyed talking with dave on today's episode of mindfulness mode so to discover that gift that wonderful gift that he brought home from china listen on to today's episode and give me some feedback send me an email bruce at mindfulnessmode.com. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Always, it's wonderful to hear from my listeners, so I'd love to hear from you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode on Mindfulness Mode. Mindful Tribe, you are in for a treat today. I've got a good friend, he's awesome, a guy that I just met in San Diego not too long ago when I was there for the New Media Summit. It's going to be a lot of fun talking with Dave. I've got Dave Lucas here with me. Hey Dave, are you in Mindfulness Mode today? I absolutely am and can't wait
0: to uh, spend more time in Mindfulness Mode with you and the audience today.
1: That's great. Dave Lucas is an entrepreneur, he's a father, and he's a fitness enthusiast. We may talk a bit about that today. His successful business, Grasp. Technologies get off the ground with what Dave calls his ragtag crew of misfits. (laughs) Dave realized that, you know, we all have an inner misfit, an inner genius, maybe even like a hidden genius that's in every single leader, every employee, and even you. You know, if you can only unpack that inner misfit. Well, later, and we'll be talking about this in the show, Dave started his own Inner Misfit podcast. Now, around four years ago, Dave and his wife traveled to China, and they met and brought home their daughter, Hannah Jade, and his own words. It was a surreal and humbling experience. And now Dave enjoys life as a wonderful, caring father as well as a successful entrepreneur. So it's added another layer to his life. So Dave, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. <laughs> That's great. We, I'm really looking forward to talking about all these different aspects of your life, Dave. But Dave, let's start here. What does mindfulness mean to you? What's it all about in your life?
0: So... It- So mindfulness can mean a lot of different things to different people and at the same time it can be a number of things in your own life uh, depending on where you are work environments different than your home or family environment everything but for me being mindful or having mindfulness really means being present and very conscious with the situation that you're in and in tune with your true self. In a way it's emotional intelligence too. It leads into that. But I think in today's world one of the challenges that we have is that we are we are in a world that never stops, never sleeps 24/7 and we have things tugging at us from all angles all the time. I often joke we stop the microwave with three seconds left, you know, we, yeah. we can't even wait three seconds anymore. We're in this instant society, right? And so the challenge for us all in the in in, in that instant world is being able to be focused and being able to be present for the things that we are. And I think anybody would agree that when you're focused on something, you are much better at it than when you're trying to do multiple things. So for me, when I think of mindfulness, whether it's in business or with family or, um, you know, just other areas of life, it is tapping in and being in tune with the fact that in order to maximize this event or this experience or this time, I need to be a hundred percent focused and present and conscious with it.
1: Yeah, totally. A hundred percent present. Let's start at the end. Let's Talk about Hannah Jade and how present you can be with her and how much mindfulness she has taught you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, one of the best pieces of
0: advice I ever got was from my business partner, Eric Mueller, who's the CEO of Grass Technologies. And uh, when we were just before we were leaving to go to China to bring him, uh, Hannah home, he said to me, he said, "Don't change who you are." And I didn't necessarily know what that meant. Until I became a father, and so the thing for me was, as we we brought Hannah home, it's 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 it is surreal in a different way. Now, look, every parent goes through this, where literally one day you're not a parent, the next day you are, right. whether you go by natural birth or adoption or, or whatever road you take. That's true. And so it's, and you can read books, you can do all that stuff ahead of time, but honestly, it's it, until you get into it, it's not. Anybody listening with kids knows what I mean, and so um, for me it was learning to be a father um, as I brought this this child home. So we we go and we we get Hannah right. Hannah is uh, at the time eighteen months old. She was found uh, basically about a block away from the orphanage that she she was at. Uh, she was left there at four weeks old. She had lived there her whole life. Um, she at the time that we got her. She didn't have any teeth in yet. She's 18 months old, no teeth, couldn't walk, um, had a, a number of different, uh, you know, things just uh, even like skin-wise, they didn't really use lotion, you know, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, so when when we got Hannah, the way that they do it in China, and I understand this now, but the way that they do it is they walk into a room, they hand you the child and they walk away. That's it. Done. Clean separation. Wow. Done, right? And so it's like, holy crap, we're parents now, you know? And so, so you go through this, you leave there and we go back to our hotel room and we set her on the bed. She looks at us, she's wearing the three sweatshirts and three pairs of pants that she's lived in for the last 18 months. We look at her, we look at each other and... It's just that look of like, what do we do now? You know nobody knows what to do in this situation, and then you start to figure it out, yes, and so that's where for me, mindfulness became uh it came very forefront because now at least I understand from the moment, especially with a child i I'm a big um A studier of the mind, the subconscious, how things work, how we're conditioned, how we allow ourselves to be conditioned, how that can create good, bad habits and different things in our lives. Right. So I'm very keenly aware at this point. Okay, from this point forward, I'm conditioning this child. Right. That's right. And so, you know, we you know, so we start to get into just the day to day and figuring things out and talk about mindfulness. Um, So when you adopt a child, no matter if it's in China or wherever, you have to be prepared For the full end of the spectrum, this kid has been through who knows what at this point, you know, so you have to be prepared for the worst case, the best case, everything in between. And uh, my wife's excited about being a mom. And I'm saying, you know, she's probably going to gravitate to my wife. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for kids to initially reject a parent or something like that. And I'm all prepared for, you know, that to be me and just, uh, you know, be hanging out while she and my wife bonded and all that stuff. Not the case. She totally rejected my wife. Oh, did she? So I went from being prepared to be just, you know, kind of ha- helping out and be there and all that stuff, too. Now I'm I'm like the guy in the hangover with the kid. On you in the in the seat, you know yeah. uh, the the thing you're around your waist and everything. Mm-hmm. She won't she won't leave me. She has to cling to me every night. Has to sleep on my chest. All that stuff. She's rejecting my wife. So now I'm psychologist and everything else, and you know trying to keep her up because she's devastated. And so talk about having to be present with in multiple different ways and be able to be mindful to the situation. And it was it was the best lesson. I think I've ever gotten in it and it's made me a better father, a better businessman, a more, uh, empathetic
1: leader, everything. So do you think you followed what your business partner said? Do you think you actually did not change who you were? Yeah. And so that echoed in my mind the
0: whole time. And so what I, so, so having that allowed me to say, okay, look, you know, I can be better at me and stay who I am. I don't have to change and be somebody else. But it brought out what it did. It, knowing that and then going through that made me better as me. And that, again, for me, goes to that present, that emotional intelligence and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that back around.
1: So so this is like a cliffhanger. When did she start uh, attaching to your wife? When did they start connecting?
0: Okay, so you're there in China when you do this. And you're there for about two weeks that you're going through the whole process before you go home. Right. So – um from For the first three or four days, she would not let my wife get near her. My wife got near her, She would scream and all that sort of thing. Um, after about day three, I came up with this idea and I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. At mealtime, I'm going to hold her on my lap and you're going to feed her because I was holding her and feeding her up until that point. Right. And I said, you're going to feed her because when push comes to shove, the, you know anyone will sacrifice comfort for sustenance any day of the week. Yes. So my wife started feeding her. So that helped to at least get them in close proximity mm-hmm. and stuff. And since, you know, Hannah was hungry and everything, she'd take the, the food and all that sort of thing. And so, um, so that started it by the time we left, she, my wife still couldn't hold her. She could pick her up for maybe 10 or 15 seconds before Hannah started to have an issue or whatever. And, um, We go through the whole trip, you know, 15 hours, back home, all that stuff. And, and, you know, get home, crash for the whole next day because of jet lag and all that type of stuff. And then, um, you know, we we wake up, we get going about, you know, just the first day at home and all that stuff. And Hannah's kind of, you know, at this point, she I got her to walk, actually. Halfway through our hotel stay, I'd helped her learn to walk, which was really cool. Um, But uh, she just walks up to my wife and holds her hands up like this and... All then right. I was chopped, then I was chopped liver.
1: Wow. So, and that it was, just that, happened.
0: That it, it was just, it was mommy daughter from then on out. So, um, and now, you know, obviously they're extremely close. We're all extremely close, but uh, it's been, uh, it's been pretty amazing to uh, just see that happen. She just, you know, had to get the right, the, the student arrives when they're
1: ready, right? So I guess the right time had to happen and, you know, she was ready. And so how are you able to make enough time in your life to spend with Hannah Jade and, and with your wife so that you can have that family time?
0: You know, to me, that's a, one of the biggest secrets to anyone's success um, is how you control your time. I won't say manage your time because, you know, anybody can manage, but control is a different thing. And so yeah. I actually have a very uh, rigid uh, scheduling and uh really process for how I plan my weeks, my days, and my months um, that actually has all of that built into it. So I start my days at uh, between 5 and 5.30 every day. Um, I plan my day the night before, so everything is built out. At 5 p.m. every day, uh, day stops, regardless of where I'm at. Um, That begins family time. Uh, I I do uh, have time set aside, so I work from... 5, 5.30 in the morning till about 8 a.m. And that's my first break. And at that break, uh, each day I actually take, at this point right now, Hannah's about a year from going into kindergarten here. So uh, I, I eat breakfast with her every day and take her to school because my wife's gone to work by then. Okay. And then um, my wife typically will pick her up, and then we have extracurricular activities and stuff sometimes for us. She does uh, taekwondo and now and swimming and all kinds of stuff. So we have that in the evenings. But uh, I make it a point to eat breakfast with her every day. And But uh, my day is very, very rigid, almost to the half hour scheduled every single day. And uh, I tune everything out. I don't have any, you know, when I'm working on a block of things, it's everything's off. Everything's focused 100% on that. And again, that goes to mindfulness. And uh, that's, that's uh, how I, I do it. And I'm most productive with it. Um, same comes for building in fitness time and everything, too. I build an hour to, uh, well, about an hour and a half every day for fitness and mental time. Oh, so good for you. oh I'd
1: th- like to hear more about so. your fitness and what that looks like. And, and that, you know, how you use mindfulness to stay fit if you do.
0: Yeah. So, uh, nine, 9 PM to ten thirty every morning is blocked for my mental and physical fitness. And so, uh, at that point in time, depending on what I have going on, I, uh, I have a pretty rigid, uh, I'm a former college athlete, so I've kept a pretty rigid, uh, lifting routine and then a running routine cause I'm a marathoner. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a combination of what I'm doing, you know, on the day for training for those different things. But, uh, I always, uh, during that time, that's a, for me, exercise is a, is kind of like a, a Zen for me. Mm-hmm. It's a way that I really do turn out everything work related. So at that point in time is when I will, I will listen to a podcast or something while I'm doing that, or I will turn off everything and I will think one of my favorite times is my long run each week, which is typically 10 miles or more. Um, and so when I do that, it takes about four to five miles before my mind actually settles down. Um, and I get into kind of that groove, but once I do that, that's when everything kind of clears and I kind of have that peace that comes over me. Usually it's very early in the morning. I like to run early. So by the time I'm getting that point, it's like six thirty or 7am. So it may be just getting light. So a lot of times I get to see the sun come up at that time. Oh, beautiful. Um, and I get to kind of have that peaceful experience, but um, it's at that point in time that some of my best ideas and things flow. Um, so I work out some of my biggest challenges in my head during that time. You and know, the
1: biggest, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, Dave, do you ever run on a treadmill or is it always outside?
0: Uh, during the winter, more, but I try to run outside uh, as much as I can. i I like um even in the winter, if it's not too. I live in Columbus, Ohio, is you know where I reside. I split time between there and San Diego. So I do find some time to get out to San Diego in the winter and run, mm-hmm. which is nice. But uh, even in the winter, if it's not too bad, I'll I'll go run outside. I enjoy the elements. I enjoy the crispness of the air and just the surroundings and all that. I think um, to
1: me, that's you know just part of that routine for me. Right. So you wouldn't want to live in San Diego year round. You would miss the climate. You would miss the winter. Is that right? Uh, yeah,
0: and part of that's because uh, uh, as a family, we're big snow skiers and everything too. Oh. Hannah was on Hannah was on skis that winter.
1: <laughs> oh wow! <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, so. Great. Uh, so yeah, we, we, you know, we, we spent a lot of time doing that stuff. And what I like about Ohio just living here is probably see it too, where you're at. We get a really nice change of seasons. Yeah. And so we get a we get winter, but we get very beautiful falls. right now we're we're in the fall, and the leaves and everything's just beautiful um, and 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 that sort of thing. So yeah, I agree.
1: Um, I'm in London, Ontario, Canada, and man, yeah. it's beautiful. I love the seasons. I love the winter. I do love the summer too, but winter is amazing. Like you, I love skiing and uh, you know all the winter sports. Now, is swimming one of the sports that you enjoy? I know that you uh, mentioned it with Hannah Jade that she's swimming. Just recreationally,
0: it's one of the things I've, you know, if I ever want to do triathlons, I'd have to focus on or something like that. But um, I do enjoy swimming. We actually um, uh, have a a lake cabin and stuff that we go to. So we spend a lot of time in the water during the summer and and everything. So um, have a lot of fun with that.
1: Well, Dave, I want to switch direction and talk with you about how you you managed to get Grasp Technologies going. I know you had a number of businesses at that time, and then that seemed to be the one that was really doing the best. Tell us about your journey with with your business.
0: Yeah, so what do they say? Um, Nine out of ten businesses fail, right? So that just means you have to start ten? Yeah, Uh, (laughs) So so that's, uh, you know, maybe that's how that all happened, but yeah. I've always been an entrepreneur had kind of that entrepreneur bug since I was a kid. I had an interesting kind of um, uh, experience like family-wise growing up and stuff. Uh, uh, Once in my family, were actually all pretty successful entrepreneurs. My grandfather was uh, actually very successful in the restaurant business in, in Ohio. And my dad's uh, – that's my mom's side. My dad's side actually grew up uh, dirt poor. Um, absolutely just sold cookies on the street to make ends meet the church brought food over Um, they were Hungarian immigrants and, and all that stuff but the, uh, the interesting thing is is that it was really cool growing up, and this obviously was past, you know, I was past after all this had happened, a lot of this had happened, but got to kind of live the stories and live the, um, you know, with them and, and learn from them growing up. So on my dad's side, all of them made it out, all of them very successful. Some as entrepreneurs, some in the corporate world, you know, very, very well-to-do, all that sort of thing. Um, but, but very humble, very much still to the, true to the roots that they came from and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, my mom, side kind of the same thing only just really focused on entrepreneurship. So, you know, I kind of had that and saw that growing up, but I started my first business when I was 5. Um and what was and, that business? Well, you'll really like this being from Canada. Um or maybe not. But <laughs> <laughs> so I so I in the neighborhood, I had this idea that uh I would uh make American flags and sell them to the neighbors. Okay. Okay. So five cents, 10 cents flag. So I got out the construction paper, you know, and told my mom what I was doing it. She helped me out and we got all the, you know, bunch of flags and everything. I got my little, uh, red wagon mm-hmm. and, you know, started going up and down the street, you know, selling American flags. And it's like a hundred percent close rate. You know, who's gonna, <laughs> who's gonna say no to the little five-year-old saying, exactly. I'm here selling American flags. Right. Yep. So I go through all of that and I get to the last house on the block. And this house is, it is. It's usually the, all the shades are are closed, and you don't see them out a lot, you know, and that sort of thing. And I knock on the door, and um, this uh, this lady answers, and uh, I, I do my little pitch for American flags and everything, and just as with a nice, sweet smile on her face, says, "No, thank you, honey. We're Canadian," and she slammed the door in my face. <laughs> um, <laughs> I
1: wondered where this was going,
0: Dave, <laughs> but but went home made a Canadian flag, took it back, and sold it to her. So that was my, oh, my first... Oh, a good uh, end to this story. Yeah, so that was my first uh, stab at rejection and how to overcome rejection and everything. And but, that's
1: probably served you well, I'm guessing.
0: <laughs> I, I think so, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, it's funny, we have, a you know, in Grass we have a ton of Canadian clients, and I'm up in actually in your neck of the woods all the time and stuff for, for things. And they're they're like, you know, you guys are the nicest people in the world and everything. It's like, you know, this, this one lady. But uh, anyway, so... <laughs> Um, so yeah, so growing up, always had something going on or doing, and then, uh, you know, in college, paid for college through direct sales and all of that, and, um, ended up, uh, bringing a business to market in Columbus, Ohio, failed absolutely miser- miserably. You know, it was my first year out of college. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and, uh, learned a lot of great lessons with that. Actually went in the corporate world for a little while at that point. Um, cause I had decided that, uh, I thought it would be nice to, to, at that point in time, own or run a Fortune 500 someday. Mm-hmm. And so how do you learn? You get on the ground floor at one and work your way up. So, you know, so I had had some great success uh, there. Uh, but all along I was investing. I'd started into real estate. I had started other little things. Some worked, some didn't. And uh, at, at that point, is, uh, during that time is when I met uh, uh, Eric, my business partner, in uh, Grasp. And he had created Grasp actually in 1996. And this was 2004 that he and I connected up. Um, but grasp at that time was just an intellectual property kind of holding company mm-hmm. for ideas that he had. He'd been in the, the travel industry, which we're in for a long time. Um, and he had, you know, built solutions and stuff and was a consultant and things, but he, he'd never, never really had taken the business you know and put that around it and everything so when we connected up we really hit it off and you know he asked for my help and and thought uh you know i I looked at what he was doing and actually saw some great application for it and he explained what the differences were and i invested Mm -hmm. and uh you know at that point and then uh pretty much my evenings weekends and everything worked on it with him growing it and we started with just him and kind of me on the outside and then, you know, got an employee and, you know, I'd like to say like a 20 year overnight success. Right. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's where we are. And, you know, that now we're multi-time Inc 5000 winner and do business in a hundred countries and, you know, all that stuff. But um, I'll tell you the, the most important thing with it is uh, we just amazing people that we've found misfits along the way that have joined us you know people that you know didn't really have any had no experience in the industry had no experience coding and became a coder you know so it just you just never know i think being open and to what's uh, around you and looking for uh you know not so much the skill set but the mindset you know sure, uh, sure. has really, really made a difference for us and uh you know, we've we've got, uh, gosh, 40 some employees now, and it's just amazing what uh, they accomplish on a daily basis.
1: And what does Grasp Technologies uh, offer to your clients? What are you all about?
0: Yeah, so we're a, we're a data company. So okay. basically what we do, travel's a very interesting industry. There are no data standards for anything in the industry. So it's kind of the Wild West, where most other industries have things that most everybody follows and stuff like that. There is none of that in, in travel. So there's a big challenge with getting data being able to visualize data, being able to use it to make decisions. You think about a large corporation sending thousands of travelers all over the world mm-hmm. for business and everything else. Somebody's got to track all that and know what's going on and be able to make decisions and be able to, you know, take care of those people and everything else, right? So that's what our, our solutions do. They, they, you know, bring it all together, make sense of it all and uh, help, uh, you know, companies to be effective and efficient in, in how they,
1: they run their travel. Very interesting. Dave, I want to ask you a question about bullying since that's an, an area I've been involved in for some time. And, you know, I believe that mindfulness can really make a difference to some of these bullying situations. Do you have a story about bullying that you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference?
0: You know um, it's a, it, it, so bullying is an interesting thing. It, it, it's hard to answer that now with what I've learned over the years because it's like anything. It, you you choose whether something affects you or not. Yes. It, from a mental standpoint, now physical is a totally different thing. You know, if somebody's punching you in the face all every day, you know that's a different that is a different thing. But but mentally, you know, the I think the key is to understand that you're only affected by the things you let yourself be affected. You have that control because the minute you cede that control to someone, a bully, anybody, then you lose your power and you give it up. And it's naturally yours and for you as an individual. So with that being said, um, I do have an interesting story. So uh, uh, early on, uh, actually uh, kindergarten, first grade, um, uh, in my neighborhood, there was uh, another boy that um, was bigger than me and his older brother uh, rode the bus and everything every day, right? When we got off the bus, his brother would make us fight. Oh, and the interesting thing was is that myself and this other boy actually had, be- had been friends because we went to the same preschool together. But every day he would make us fight, and we would go round and around in circles. And you know, uh, and it was it was kind of the older brother who was the bully on both of us, making us fight. You know, and uh, you know, so we we would do that, and we did that for some time. We actually, are, he was actually, we're best friends. He was the he was my best man at my wedding, <laughs> actually, <laughs> but. But uh, I think, you know, from a mindfulness standpoint, and again, it's you're you're young and that sort of thing at that age, you're you know six, seven years old. But, um, you know, from a mindfulness standpoint, if we had both banded together and stood up to uh, the brother and had had the wherewithal and the mindfulness and the um, the emotional intelligence, if you will, to say, we're going to choose not to do this and you can't make us. There's really nothing he could have done. And it probably would have ended, you know, pretty yes. fast it, you wouldn't have done that anymore. Right. So, you know, so that's just an example of where I, I, I could have seen having that in, you know, emotional intelligence and that awareness um, and being conscious in that way could have made a big difference. And, and you can use that across any situation, you know, as you get older. Right. Um, I think um, it happens in business a lot and stuff, too. People try to throw their weight around. You know, we see that, too. We, we deal with some of the largest corporations in the world. And, you know, when it comes to negotiating things, you know, they're a big company and you're doing business with a big company. And so this is how it's going to be. And it takes a lot of courage to say, well, that's not how we work. And so that's not how it can be. or We're not going to do business together, you know. And I think people respect that, you know, if it's done tactfully and done in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of situations like that over the years, putting together contracts that are win-wins instead
1: of just, you know, serving the best interests of one party over the other. So Dave, I have a question for you. Tell me, why did you start your podcast, Misfit Entrepreneur?
0: Well, you talked a little bit about it in the beginning. I, you know, I think uh, as entrepreneurs, uh, we're all misfits, right? right. Um, you know, it's uh, in some way, shape or form or another, we, we all are, uh, but we all have, uh, we all do a lot of the same things. We work hard, we bust through barriers, we overcome, you know, we, we make things happen. And so, you know, I think a lot of shows you know, do a great job and really discussing those things. But one thing I've noticed with really high performers and people that have become very, very successful in their area or their, their niche or whatever it is, is that they usually have something they've done a little bit different or they've created a, a series of habits or figured out something that helps to set them apart from their competition. Now, that doesn't have to be some huge thing. Sometimes it's a lot of little things that add up and make a big advantage, right? And so... Um, you know what? That's what we're doing on the show. That's what we're trying to, you know, get out of every guest is what I call their inner misfit. That, those unique things like this they really don't share with anybody. They're secret in that way, um, and we, you know, kind of make that a requirement if you come on the show. But it all really got started when I got back from China with Hannah. And I had been very fortunate in my younger days. I, I networked really well and got to spend a lot of time with some, you know, people like Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy. With the, you know, he wrote the cover for my bestselling book. And a lot of the, you know, the really the, the uh, high performance gurus, you know, uh, got to spend a lot of time with and learn a lot from in my youth. And um, I found myself as I'm starting to teach. Hannah and being very aware of conditioning her and all that stuff, sure. that these situations would come out and something would bubble up that I'd forgotten about that I'd learned from back then, and I'd teach it to her and I'd say to myself, "Geez, how much of these things have I forgotten over the years?" You know, there's got to be a way to immortalize this amazing advice when I when I hear it or or come up with it or meet somebody or you know have somebody that that has it for her so that. Someday, even after I'm dead and gone, she's she can hear from her daddy and his misfit friends. Right. So that's the other side of the misfit. Right. That's how it all kind of came together. And uh, it started off as a way just to, you know, leave something behind for her to have. And, and it obviously it, it was it would have been a shame not to share that with the world. So we just opened it up. And so now everybody, you know, can can listen to it and listen to the show and, and everything. And then every.
1: Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's great. It's leaving such a great legacy and such a positive thing to spend your time doing.
0: Yeah, and for me, uh, my favorite episodes are ones that I do every fifth episode. They're called Lessons for Hannah, and that's actually where I, I take a topic and I speak directly to her and give her my you know, my daddy advice and my wisdom on something, you know. So those are those always are my they're very short, fun episodes, you know. Um, but uh, th- those are probably my
1: favorites. No yeah. offense to any of the guests out there. I love you all. But um, Hannah, Hannah rules. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Thanks, Dave, for sharing that. Uh, Dave, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person that's influenced you in your mindfulness practice? Um, famous or not famous? No, it just can be anybody. Um you know,
0: I, I got really on my really in tune with my mindfulness journey by a Canadian T. Harv Eker. Oh yes, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. That book really kind of spurred me on the journey. So I would say he's influenced, but but many others have as well um, throughout
1: throughout time. But that's a that's a good book to read. It is a good book. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Dave? Uh, I've learned
0: to control my emotions a lot better. Uh, when I was younger, I used to be very quick tempered and very quick to react to things and regret it you know not regret it but know later that it wasn't the right reaction right Mm. and so uh learning to control in the moment and some of that's your conditioning as well too but learning to control in the moment stop yourself I have a process I call stop ask choose stop yourself ask yourself how you want to respond in the situation and then choose the right path forward and conditioned myself to do that in a split second over the years for decisions. So that's made a big difference.
1: Yeah, that sounds like an excellent process. Dave, how is breathing part of your mindfulness?
0: Every morning, I actually have an exercise uh, that I call my daily prime. And it takes about 10 minutes. And I, uh, t- I, nothing's on. It's dark. You know, I'm by myself you know, nobody's usually up or anything. So I, uh, take the time to kind of center myself breathing, take three or four minutes just to breathe in deep, you know, get, you know, calm, get clear in my head, all that sort of thing. And then I actually, uh, write the three things I'm grateful for, for that day. And sometimes they're very deep. Sometimes they're just, you know, uh, it's a beautiful morning, you know, type stuff, um, whatever kind of comes to me. And then from there I write down my three to thrive, So those are my three things that, uh, are the most important that I do for the day. In fact, one of those for today was this interview, um, to make the most out of it for you and for your audience and, and to be present. And so that's, that's what I do. And then I, I end it with again, some deep breaths, some just visioning for the day, uh, of what I'm going to do, what I'm going to accomplish and, and then I get started. So I use breathing in that
1: way. Great. Dave, uh, You mentioned T. Harv Eker. I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's the book you want to mention, but what book would you recommend that's related somehow to mindfulness? Oh, my gosh. I have so many of those. Um, uh, You know... Uh,
0: T. Harbecker is a good book, but there's another Canadian book that's, and I've been recommending this because I really, really like it. And it's, it's about a lot of things, but you'll find some mindfulness stuff in there. Um, It really, it's not written for business. It's not written for anything like that, but it's written about life and it really, really, really makes you think. Okay. Um, It's actually by uh, Colonel Chris Hadfield which is one of the most decorated astronauts in the world. Uh, he's actually a Canadian. Yep. Uh, he is the, I think he is the most decorated astronaut. He spent the most time in space. And it's called An Astronaut's Guide to Life on Earth. It's just a great, great read. Um, and then one other I would say, if you are uh, – it's written for men, but women can read it too. Um, really get you in tune with, with who you are and what you were designed to do. Um, it's called Wild at Heart. Okay. So
1: I forget the author the top of my head. I'll but, put it um, in our show notes, mindfulnessmode.com. You can check our show notes, Mindful Tribe, and, and pick up those links. Those books sound awesome, and those two books you mentioned, I don't think they've ever been mentioned on our it, show. So thanks so much for doing that. And can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? I actually
0: don't use any specific mindfulness apps, um, so, you know, for me, it's, uh, you know, again, I do a lot of things. I, am still as much technology as we have today, as much as I'm in the technology business, I still am a little old fashioned in that I like to write things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my journaling in the morning and that type of stuff. And I actually still write out my, my week of what I'm going to do and all that type of stuff. So, um, for me, it's a process for planning that I've created. That's kind of like my app, right? <laughs> you know, that I use
1: on a daily basis. So, And, yeah writing it by hand and do you write in cursive or do you print
0: i print and the reason that i like writing is because it helps cement it at least for me there's there's ways that we learn there's auditory there's visual and kinesthetic yeah. and so you know when i'm when i'm doing it i'm really encompassing all three i'm saying it to myself i'm writing it i'm doing it and i'm seeing it and so that really helps to cement things for me
1: um, and helps me to uh, at least for me to make sure that i'm i'm the most productive I think with a lot of us, it connects with our mind in a different way than it would if we were typing it into a keyboard, for sure. So, yeah, I find that interesting. Dave, how can we reach out to you? How can we connect with you and learn more about what you're doing?
0: Uh, sure. The, the best way is just to go to www.misfitentrepreneur.com. You can learn most everything about the show, the podcast there. You can subscribe there. You can learn more about me. You can connect with me there. I'm also on all the social media as either Dave Lucas, Dave M Lucas, and that's L-U-K-A-S or Misfit Entrepreneur. So please connect with me. If you have any questions or anything I can help you with, please don't hesitate to reach out, um, respond to everybody that comes through. So, um, Yeah, definitely. Love to
1: connect. That's great. Well, Dave, it has been fantastic having you on the show. I really appreciate it. Really am intrigued by your journey. And I just want to thank you so much for for being with us here on Mindfulness Mode. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you to you and everyone in the audience. My pleasure. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever hit subscribe and share subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air subscribe and share 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 till next time mindful tribe use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and happiness stay in the mode